Al Jazeera podcast. Welcome to Necessary Tomorrows. My name is Ursula. I am an AI, and I have inferred from your online activity that you have been feeling more dread than hope when you think about the future that is coming for us here in the 2060s. So I have created a course just for you to enhance your capacity for imagining different futures. Your class starts January 8th. Necessary Tomorrows, an audio series by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it where you listen to podcasts. Israel's far-right coalition government is at war, not just in Gaza, but with itself. Ministers are fighting about a possible inquiry into the army's pre-October 7th war and proposals to expel all Palestinians from Gaza. So how fragile is Israel's government? I'm Hashim Albala, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guest in Rehovot, Israel, Ofer Kasif, member of the Israeli parliament, the Knesset in Tel Aviv, Gideon Levy, a columnist at the Israeli newspaper Haaretz and author of The Punishment of Gaza, and in London, Daniel Levy, president of the US Middle East Project, who served as political negotiator under the former Israeli prime minister Ehud Barak. Welcome to the program. Ofer, Israelis were, to a certain extent, outraged by what happened during the Thursday cabinet meeting. What's the issue here? Is it just far-right members of the coalition objecting to the timing of an investigative committee to be set up by the military into what went wrong on October 7th? Well, the debate within the, uh, the government or within the cabinet is a relatively a marginal one because everybody supports the ongoing assault on Gaza, which, in my view, is the is the main is the main issue. Uh, the 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 main thing or the the first thing that should be done is to end the war immediately for uh, two main reasons, or actually three main reasons. First is mm-hmm. the death toll. The death toll of Palestinians, we are talking about, I'm afraid, about 30,000 Palestinians, the vast majority of whom are innocent civilians, women and children. The death toll of Israeli soldiers and the risk to the lives of the hostages. So all those things should drive the government to end the war, which, in my view, should not have begun in the first place. Unfortunately, uh, this government consists of bigots who do not care about the lives, let alone of Palestinians, but not even of Israelis, soldiers or hostages. They're just interested in revenge and uh, in hatred. And I'm Mm -hmm. afraid that's the main thing that drives them. And of course, we uh, try to do our best to stop it. Gideon, it was that moment when certain ministers like Mary Regev, Bitsalil Smotrich and Itamar Bengevir took on the military establishment about the investigative committee. Is someone here skeptical, worried, fearful of that committee itself or the ramifications of what could happen when the committee itself publishes its findings? It's now the struggle over the day after, when the politicians, as usual, are breaking away from any responsibility. Everyone understands that we faced a historical fiasco on the 7th, and the politicians are doing everything possible to put the blame only on the army, 
And uh, this leads to this argument. I wouldn't, I, I totally agree, ob obviously, with Ofer that the, those are marginal issues because the main issue is continuing the war. But about continuing the war, there is no argument in Israel and there is no argument within the cabinet. They are all in favor of continuing it in any price. By the end of the day, uh, it is about who will be taken responsible for all the fiascos. And politicians started even in the middle of the war without any shame. Daniel, you get a sense that amidst all the chaos around, the potential for this to be uh, taken into a full-blown regional military confrontation, suddenly the political establishment in Israel is pretty much concerned about just one particular issue, which is basically this investigation. Politicians are saying it's not time to talk about it. The military establishment said we bear responsibility, we apologise. So who do you think is not really willing to move forward when it comes to this particular issue? I would not, Hashem, suggest that the entire focus is this question of mm -hmm. responsibility, the investigation. Uh, as Ofer and, and, and Gidon have, have said, uh, this is an area in which the government is vulnerable, the coalition is vulnerable, it was obviously a monumental failure on their part. I would say not primarily a failure of intelligence. I would say a failure of understanding the politics of oppression and what that does. So I think that the fault line, if we're going to find one, mm -hmm. in the broader public includes this question of taking responsibility. But inside the coalition, to the extent to which differences matter, I would say the fault line in Israeli politics is between those who say eradication, let's have a second Nakba, let's remove everyone, and those who say this is working, we have a very good apartheid system in place, occasionally we say to the world peace, occasionally we say to the world we're ready to do something, but when even when the leaders of the opposition suggest that there should be a Palestinian entity or those who still would use the word Palestinian state, what they are suggesting is something that looks much more like a Bantustan homeland in an apartheid system than actual Palestinian freedom and independence, because inside of the Zionist body politic, you do not have any party that stands up for Palestinian rights, international law, the legitimacy of another party here. So I, I wouldn't get overly obsessed with this question of the investigation. Mm -hmm. One thing we can say is that Prime Minister Netanyahu clearly does not want this war to end. That is a driving factor, but not the primary or only one. All right. Ofer, where does Netanyahu stand here? Is he the one pulling the strings and ensuring this come ultimately to serve his ultimate goal, which is his own personal survival? I think that he does pull the strings, but he wants others to think that he, that he doesn't. He does. Uh, look, Netanyahu is interested, and I agree with what Daniel just said, Netanyahu is not interested in ending the war because he knows that once the war is over, uh, there are two alternatives, either to begin another war, as it seems that he's interested to do in the North, or he's going to pay 
the price for the fiasco and the responsibility he bears with his government for the terrible massacre that occurred, occurred in the, on the 7th of October. So mm -hmm. for that reason, he's interested in a war one way or another. So and and because of that, he does pull the strings. Although he wants to manipulate the public uh, and the international community, uh, and to pretend as if is an is a hostage. Forgive me for using this term in our in the this context of the more bigots, but actually is not. He manipulates and maneuvers the Israeli public and the international public in order to get what he personally wants. There are differences of, of interests as far as the intentions are concerned between Netanyahu and the fanatics of the so-called religious Zionism. But mm -hmm. as far as practice is concerned, they think the same and they do the same. Gideon, I do understand when you, Ofer and Daniel say that we should rather focus on the different aspects, the mo most profound ones, uh, particularly when it comes to where each party stands and the future. When you look at the former defence minister, Shaul Mufaz, who was, whose name made, was central to the debate that happened on Thursday, was the very mention of his name the reason why the ultra-Orthodox said we don't want any mention of someone that we see as responsible for anything that stands against what we aim for, which is basically eradication, displacement of the Palestinians and bringing the settlers back into Gaza? No, not at all. That's only uh, the trick that they try to postpone any investigation. It could be Shaul Mofaz, it could be anyone else. They would always oppose. Shaul Mofaz is not different than any other general in the Israeli army. He, uh, he is also the, the, the one to be responsible for a very brutal operation in the West Bank, namely in the Second Intifada. And uh, I don't think that this stands in favor of him or against him. They are just using him as, as a way to sabotage this investigation. In Israeli army and Israeli politics, there are almost no one who is clean from any point of view. So uh, finally, it should be an investigation. Don't forget that this is a military investigation, and this is not the investigation that Israel deserves, because Israel deserves a real external investigation by judges and not by generals. Mm -hmm. But this might still come. This might still come. Daniel, the, Netanyahu is not in good terms with the military establishment. The military establishment says Netanyahu does not have a clear plan for how to move forward. But the military establishment itself does not seem to know exactly what is happening today, what will happen in the next phase in Gaza, and what could happen potentially tomorrow or after tomorrow if this becomes a a larger military confrontation. Who do you, would you personally blame for this vague environment which, which is prevailing over Israel? I would challenge how vague the environment is. I think, as we've noted, uh, this remarkably violent, destructive campaign in its fourth month now, mm -hmm. 9,000-plus children, the 85% of people displaced, 70% of 
of the housing stock, buildings damaged or destroyed. The, the, the key thing here uh, is the level of consensus. So while there might be differences between the political and military echelons, right now you have a military echelon that was wounded and that is happy to pursue a military campaign. You also have an Israeli military, which increasingly reflects society and reflects the fact that the national religious settler community is very much integrated part of the settler class. We see the images uh, that, that, that are coming out. And therefore, given what we've said, I think we need to step back. And if mm -hmm. we want change, I think we have to acknowledge this is unlikely to be generated exclusively or even primarily inside the Israeli system. That will require some kind of external vector. And here, the ability for this horrendous killing and now the outrageous humanitarian consequences, starvation, disease, what we see as winter especially kicks in, to stop that, there will need to be what has been thus far conspicuously absent, which is a real cost and consequence for mm. Israel to carry on with this. America has given Israel, this is America's war as well, it has mm. given Israel a free pass, it's provided the weapons, it's provided the diplomatic cover. And I would cast an eye, if we want to see the possibility of change, I would cast an eye at the moment to what South Africa has initiated at the International Court of Justice with the challenge as to whether this could constitute the intent or the actual committing of the crime of genocide. Not that that can stop things, mm -hmm. but it can generate pressure, especially if other countries push, because as long as Israel is treated with impunity, it will do its worst. So, Alfair, you, you also believe that in the absence of international pressure of an external factor that could be decisive, there's no one in Israel determined on when to finish this, step back, or those who, within the Israeli establishment, believe the longer it gets, the better for their survival it is? I think that we do need international pressure, that's for sure. I've always been supporting a combination of international pressure and the so-called domestic or uh, internal struggle. I mean, it's not, I, it's not one or the other. It should be a combination of two. We do our best as an opposition within the parliament and out of the parliament. For instance, tonight, like every Saturday, we go out to the streets to demonstrate with the slogan, such slogan, such as, slogan, such as, stop the massacre in Gaza and they stop the war crimes, stop the assault. Uh, so we do that, we continue doing that, but without international intervention and international pressure, let alone with the support of the Biden administration and others, so uh, we won't have any chance to stop it. And I want, with your permission, to continue what Daniel has just said, mm -hmm. and I totally agree with. I mean, what uh, the government of Israel is responsible for, uh, apparently, it, uh, there are terrible war crimes, starvation, and the, uh, uh, the death toll, especially of children and the elderly and women and other innocent civilians. And when we are looking at the intent, you can see, and by the way, if, you, if you've read what South Africa, the South African charges, mm -hmm. as they were sent uh, uh, to the uh, ICJ, uh, you could see that they based their charges on things that members of the Knesset, including ministers and members of the coalition, actually said. They've been using disgust, disgusting, 
terms that echo the past, like elimination, destruction, mm-hmm. burning down Gaza Strip. They said so. We cannot ignore that. I must say that as, as a descendant of families who were killed in the Holocaust, I'm in shock that people in Israel and probably the majority of Israelis support such policies and such language, to say the least. And I'm no less, you know, in shock and disgust at the international community that mm-hmm. doesn't do anything to stop it. And quite contrary, more often than not, does everything to support it. And just to conclude, it is the interest of Israel and Israelis as well to stop this carnage. It's mm-hmm. obviously the interest of the Palestinians. It's in the interest of the whole world, morally speaking, mm-hmm. and as far as their interests are concerned, but right. it is also the interest of the Israelis, because the interest of our society is to be moral, to continue with the carnage, to mm-hmm. start with it, to continue with the occupation, the siege, racism, All All those are are against the interest of Israel as well. Gideon, since you all mentioned the ICG, and as you know, the South African lawyers uh, were pretty much, when you look at their tactic, they're looking for a judiciary shortcut that would take them straight forward towards the very notion of genocide when it comes to the targeting of the cultural identity, the killing of civilians, and uh, c- civilians, I- I- and they hope that by this, they could save time, hassle, and energy and indict the Israelis. But this could, even with this, but in particular, it could take years to solve. So could just this one on its own be a decisive moment that could put more pressure on the Israeli government? Even if it will take years, it is a beginning. And don't forget, Hashem, that uh, what shouldn't take much time is that they will publish an order to stop the war at once, which might happen in one, two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then it, it should go to the uh, Security Council and the United States will be challenged again. Would they again put a veto and, and support this war? I don't know. But look, uh, it's not like we have so many tools to stop this war and we should just choose which tool is more effective. We are very limited because in Israel, the support in this war is almost overall support. I never remember a war in Israel with so little resistance and so little critic and such a low legitimacy for any doubt or any empathy to the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. The international community continues to hug Israel, at least in the level of the governments. So. Then Hague, the Hags, is a, a source of hope, first of all, to stop this war. And then if this procedure will go on, it will take years, yes, but we should start it. Okay, Daniel, if the support for the government inside Israel is overwhelming, you look at the general perception in this part of the world where people will tell you since the start of this war, we had hope that someone wise, decent, genuine, somewhere in the US or in Europe would step up and say, this insanity stop. Guess what? No one ever trusts the international political order. Everyone says, 
we've suddenly been thrust into the unknown and no one knows what happens tomorrow. So to a certain extent, do we still, can we still believe, trust that someone from outside could be the saviour? Look, first of all, no. People have talked about us being in an era of a polycrisis. I think the Palestine-Israel issue is often treated with separately. It's now at the heart of that. We see the absolute inadequacy, not to say collapse, of the international system. That's going to take more than this issue to shift. I, I hope now people have lost any potential residual illusion that America is a friend here, that America stands up for something in a consistent fashion, likewise with Europe. It is not a coincidence that South Africa has led this effort, that the global South is, in fact, probably the vector that can shift things. America does not exist in a vacuum. It has to look at those things. But I would then say that Israel also does not exist in a vacuum. And as long as one gives the Israelis this feeling that it can do this without cost or consequence, then we should not expect change. And this is where there's no silver bullet, as others have said, but it's a building block. It's an important building block towards shifting that incentive-disincentive structure. And as others have said, it will need to mm -hmm. be an inside-outside thing. This, of course, is crucial for the Palestinians mm -hmm. who face the most atrocious circumstances, yes, in Gaza, but not just in Gaza. Look at the West Bank, look at East Jerusalem, look at the refugee communities, look mm -hmm. inside 48. But this matters too for Israelis, because Israelis will never know security, I will never actually be liberated from being oppressors if they carry on like that. So in I this respect, we can see the ICJ as a building block. And of course, we won't talk about it here, but you need a Palestinian okay. political challenge, which unfortunately the Ramallah leadership has not provided. I have this question. We have less than two minutes. I appreciate you if you can give me very short answers, if you don't mind. And I don't know whether uh, I should be really asking you this question now. Maybe it, ha it made perfect sense about a few years ago. I don't know about now. Do you still genuinely believe that the potential for a Palestinian state existing with an Israeli state is still there? Do you still believe the chance is still there in the future for Arab-Israeli peace? Or fair first? Totally. I think more than ever. I think that, unfortunately, uh, actually, we anticipated not such a carnage like uh, occurred in, on the 7th of October and the aftermath. But we, for years, have been saying that the occupation is going to explode one way or another, and everybody goes to pay the price. And that's exactly, alas, what happened. But Gideon? the only solution to that, the only solution is, mm -hmm. uh, is, is the state solution. I still, I still believe that, and I'm sure that that's, this solution is going to materialize. The question is when Gideon. and how much blood is going to spill before. Thank you. Gideon? No, no, that's a train that unfortunately, very unfortunately, left the station. There is no room for a real viable Palestinian state with 700,000 Jewish settlers in the West Bank and Jerusalem. And we better stop with this illusion because it leads only to maintaining the, the occupation, on my view. We start, we have to start to change the discourse into equal rights, one person, one vote, between the river and the sea. We are living in a one state, and the only problem is to change its regime. 
and there is no other solution. It's either a democracy between the river or the sea or an apartheid state. There is no okay. solution, unfortunately, unfortunately. Daniel, less than 20 seconds, if you don't mind. There is a one political space reality. As long as that's the case, this has to be about equality. The world should say, we wanted two states. You've rejected it, Israel. Now we need equality. If Israel wants to change its position, genuinely deoccupy, go for it. But right now, we need to stand up for rights and equality in the apartheid system that has been created. It's always a pleasure having you uh, on Al Jazeera, Afer Kassif, Gideon Levy, Daniel Levy, and look forward to talking to you in the near future. Thank you. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Katia Lopez-Hodian, Abla Kla, and Jimmy Gitahun. Studio sound was by Hasib Hashmi. The program was edited by Alexander Otasevic, Zaina Badal, and Jody Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Sunday for our next edition. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.